The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Good morning. Some of you may not know me. Um, my name is Justin Kramer. I'm one of the uh, few brave souls that helped start this church about two and a half years ago. Uh, it's really neat to see what God has done in terms of growth since then. Um, a couple summers ago, there was only about uh, 12 of us in here, so it's neat to see how that has changed. Um, I realize that I have a tough task because I have to follow two cute seven-year-olds reading Psalms 130. Um, I'm pretty sure that's why they asked me to preach today. Uh, you've all heard the purpose of our family service, and we do it twice a year, generally right after Christmas and then um, this week as well. And it's, it's really so that we can worship together, not just as a community or a church, but so that families are worshiping the same Christ together, so that as the parents are singing praise to the Lord, that the children see that. And as the children are singing praise, that the parents would see that, and that we'd be spurred on um, towards... Uh, uh, a deeper faith in Christ. And so this morning, uh, we'll spend about 20 minutes together looking at Psalms 130, particularly verse 5 and 6. And my hope this morning for us is really simple. It's that we leave encouraged in Jesus. And so I hope that we are, by the Holy Spirit's help, moved into or ushered into the, the deeper things of Christ together as a family so um, I have one question as you guys um, turn to Psalm 130. It's a lot easier to find than the book of Jonah, which is where we've been. And I confess, I, I've been in church all my life, and I, had, I, I could not find Jonah like twice. And so I had to go, you know, go table of contents. And so Psalms, if you just open your Bible right up, we're going to be in Psalms 130, particularly focusing on verse 5 and 6. Um, and I want to ask one question and this is the one question that I hope we answer together this morning in our short time. The title of the psalm is, My Soul Waits for the Lord. And so my question is, as Christians, what should we be doing as we wait on the Lord? So as Christians, what should we be doing as we wait on the Lord? And the short answer is encouraging one another. So pray with me, and then let's see if we can um, dive into God's Word. Heavenly Father, we praise you this morning that we have families and children and parents and friends and brothers and sisters that remind us of your love. Lord, that watching Clara and Sophia read from your word reminds me that unless I am like a, a child, I cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And so I pray that I would serve your people well this morning, Lord, that your word would be clear, that it would be straightforward, and that as we, with other saints around the world today, remember your Son, our Savior, that we would leave encouraged 
we would leave loving you more deeply. We ask these things through Christ Jesus, who is our mediator. Amen. So Psalm 130 is um, what we would call a, uh, a lament psalm or a penitent psalm. And all that means is that the, the psalmist is trying to extract or put forth a particular characteristic about the nature of God. And so looking through the psalm in verse 1 and 2, the, the psalmist really uh, starts begging God for mercy and then moves into verse 3 and 4 and confessing his sin. And then where we're going to be at, verse 5 and 6, he realizes that the only hope he has is by waiting on the Lord. And then he finishes the psalm in verse 7 and 8 with assurance that it is only in Christ that we have any hope. And so let me read for us again verse 5 and 6. Psalm 130, verse 5 and 6. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. The psalmist is highlighting one particular attribute of the character and nature of God, and that is God's mercy. And so if you're like me, you've grown up in church, and you've heard the word mercy thrown around a lot, and so I want to give us a a, a biblical definition of God's mercy, and it's not as simple as straightforward. It's not clear that, uh, you know, the definition of a piece of paper is very clear. God's mercy has many angles or many dimensions to it. So straightforward, mercy means that God is continually and relentlessly lavishing his covenants, his promise, and his love on his people who are both unworthy and unfaithful. And so I think all of us, if we're believers in here, can remember times where we undeservingly or uh, unfaithfully received God's grace and his mercy and didn't deserve it. And we see that mainly when God saves us, don't we? that we are completely undeserving. And so throughout Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible paints pictures in all of its biblical characters of different attributes or different sides or dimensions of God's mercy. So some of the other words that we see describe, describing God's mercy are his kindness, his grace, his favor, his pity, his steadfast love, And even most recently, his compassion, which we saw that he had on the city of Nineveh in the book of Jonah. And so all of these things are meant specifically to push the Christian to remember that we serve a God who is rich in mercy. And so the psalmist, if you look at the very first verse, the very first part of verse 5, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. And so he's obviously waiting on something. The psalmist in this particular psalm is waiting on God to give him mercy by forgiving his sins. This is Old Testament, so this is pre-Christ's first coming. And so they would have been under an old covenant or a sacrificial system for the forgiveness of sins. And so the psalmist is waiting on God to give him mercy through the forgiveness of his sins. 
But I want us to look at more of a general sense of how we today as Christians find ourselves waiting on the Lord. And I think specifically, and a lot can be said here, but I want to draw our attention to two things. The first way that we find ourselves waiting on the Lord is in everyday life. Because whether we know it or not, opening our eyes in the morning is a mercy from the Lord. And I think we'd all say, amen, that's right. But let's think about it. To have breath or life, the fact that God's wrath doesn't strike us down where we are is a mercy from him. So to live and move and have our being in everyday life is God freely and lavishly administering his mercy to us. The second way that we find ourselves waiting is for his return. And that's a a more general sense that we as believers, the New Testament tells us that we should eagerly await Christ's return. And so going back to the, the first way that we generally find ourselves waiting on the Lord in everyday life. And maybe some of us in here are in a particular season of sweetness with the Lord. You know, maybe, maybe the Lord has been kind to us in giving us joy and that we're in a season of celebration in the Lord and, and we would celebrate with you. But you still need God's mercy even in seasons of joy. And inevitably, there are some of us in here who are in seasons of trial or difficulty. Bad news from the doctor, difficult news in the family, whatever it may be. And we are assured that God's mercy not only will come, but it will be enough. And his mercy will come either in this life or the next. And so for us as believers, we wait on God's mercy knowing that we need it. And this is what the psalmist is trying to drive home, that God is so rich in mercy that I cannot move, I cannot think, I cannot breathe, I cannot exist unless God is relentlessly pouring his mercy and his favor and his kindness and his goodness out on me. And so the question that we ask at the beginning is if we know that we are waiting every day that we wake up, whether in circumstance or generally as a group of believers on the Lord's return, what should we be doing as we're waiting? We should encourage one another. And, you know, it's interesting. I was talking with Randy last night. As a nation, right, yesterday was July 4th. And so we celebrate our country's independence for whatever it is, 230, 40, 50 years. And we set up a day in the middle of the year to remind ourselves that we are a free nation. Well, in the same way, as believers, shouldn't we set up memoriams or flags in our own lives that remind us that God has been richly merciful to us? Shouldn't we set up, as one song calls it, an Ebenezer or reminder of divine kindness from the Lord. And maybe, maybe I'm the only one in here, I don't think that I am, 
But maybe there's times when you can't remind yourself and you can't see how God is rich in mercy, steadfast, loving, that he's kind, that he is gentle, that he is sweet. Maybe you can't remind yourselves. Maybe you can't set up flags or banners or Ebenezer's in your life, or I can't set them up in mine. And that's where we as believers should encourage one another. We should encourage each other and remind one another of the evidences of God's grace that we've witnessed in each other's life. As, as we see a brother or a sister struggling, or even as we see a brother or sister celebrating and enjoy, reminding them of God's mercy, his goodness, his love, his kindness, and the ways in which we've seen that take fruit in their life. Because there are times, and for me, this year has been particularly difficult personally, and I have been specifically encouraged and reminded of of the mercies of God in my own life when I couldn't see them by members of this church. And it's, it's what God would have us do as we wait not only for his mercy in everyday life, but as we wait for his ultimate act of mercy, which is coming back and making everything that was wrong right in his return. In the book of Philemon, which I don't know about you, I've never really spent much time in Philemon. It's a little small book, one chapter. In verse 20, Paul's writing to Philemon, and he's in prison. And uh, verse 20 says, refresh my heart in the Lord. And so Paul is, who is, I mean, he's on the Mount Rushmore of Christians. I know we shouldn't probably have a Mount Rushmore, but he's on it. And Paul is in prison. He's at the latter part of his life, and he is struggling to remember how kind God has been to him. And he begs Philemon, he says, refresh my heart in the Lord. And so that's what we should do as Christians, is continuously, as we wait on Christ's return, refresh one another's heart in the Lord. And so I think, and we're getting close to to wrapping up, I think there are three specific ways in which God would have us encourage one another. So if we know the psalmist is highlighting God's mercy and what an essential attribute that is for us to understand about the character and nature of God, and we know that as believers, we should encourage one another and remind one another of the mercies of God that we've seen in each other's lives. Well, how do we do that? And I think there's three specific ways that God would have us do that. The first is together, right? So it's kind of hard to encourage one another if we're not around one another. And so God's command in the Bible is that as a believer, we should covenant or join together with a group of other believers and spur one another on in love and good deeds, And so the first way in which we encourage one another is by being around one another. It's kind of hard for me to encourage Randy if I'm never around him. I don't know what he's struggling with. I don't know that he needs to be reminded that God has been faithful to him. The second way that we can 
remind ourselves how to encourage each other is with a, an eye or a, a gaze towards our future life with Christ. You know, because it's possible and likely. Well, let me say this. So a few weeks ago, my father was diagnosed with kidney cancer. And he's one of the few people in my life that are very close with me. And so I started feeling emotions and fear that I'd never felt before. And at some point, things in this life will be taken from us. People, jobs, family members. But Jesus will never be taken from us. And so as we seek to encourage one another, we should encourage each other with a, an eternal lens or a gaze towards our future life with Christ. And it, it helped me as men and women in this room were praying for me and for my family, help remind me that this world is not it, that my life as a Christian is with Christ forever. And so the final way that we can encourage one another is with the gospel. You must say, that. well, that's pretty easy. Think about it. How much time do we spend thinking about what God has saved us from? That God would be rich in mercy, that he'd be slow to anger, and that he would save sinners in their sin, and that it's no longer wrath or condemnation that is on our agenda, but it is everything that Christ has prepared for us. And so the three ways that we can encourage one another is with the gospel, is with an eye towards our future life with Christ, and it's together in a community. And so if you're like me, I, I tend to um, question things. <laughs> you can ask my wife. So how can we be assured that God's mercy will come? That all sounds great to encourage one another, but how can we be assured as believers that God's mercy will show up? And that's because Christ has already come. You see, the psalmist was looking forward for Christ's first coming at a day when a Messiah would come and save the people from their sin. And we get to look backward and say, Christ has already come. Therefore, everything that I have in the Lord is vouched safe in the finished work of Christ. And so we can simply be assured because of Christ's coming that his mercy will show up. And so as we wrap up, maybe... And I have to think that whether in this room or someone will listen, that there's inevitably someone who not only has not received God's mercy, but is defiantly hostile towards God. It is rejecting that Jesus Christ 
freely and lavishly administered his love and his kindness to us and took God's wrath for us. So maybe find yourself doubting or questioning whether or not the God of the Bible could be trusted. And there's room for doubt, but I would beg you to wrestle with the mercy of Christ Jesus. That he saves sinners in their sin. That I am one of them that he saved. Or maybe, maybe you're in here and you are a believer and you find yourself in a particular season of joy or trial. Be encouraged this morning. Be encouraged first in the gospel because the gospel is encouraging news. It's good news that God saves sinners. But be encouraged also that God's mercy will show up. And if you can't raise a flag to remind yourself that God has been faithful to you, then surround yourself with other believers who can lift that flag for you. So finally, I hope that we all leave with a heart and an eye that remembers the ways in which God has been so faithful to us, that God has been so generous to us, that God has been so kind to us, and that we would spur one another on so that on that last day when Christ does come, that we together can hear, job well done, good and faithful servants. And so as we prepare for communion, um, we're going to have some time to sit and think. And uh, let me pray for us as we prepare for that. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.